Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, if I said to you, what is your favorite love song? You'd probably have a song that would maybe come to mind right away. Probably would depend on maybe your generation or maybe your favorite style of music. It probably would have some kind of sentimental attachment. You probably could connect it back to some kind of memory. When we were starting this series that we're calling The Power of Love, it was easy for us to, to kind of maybe possibly go down a sidetrack with all these different songs from all the different eras of music and all the different genres of music that talk about love. Sometimes they're songs that are filled with joy and sometimes they're songs of heartbreak. Sometimes they're happy, sometimes they're painful. They're songs all about love. And these songs try to define what love is for us. But John does a lot of this. And so we're, we're working our way through the book of 1 John. We, we're just kind of taking a, a snapshot of each chapter each week. Today we're in chapter three. And we're gonna look there at what he tells us about loving other people. We've called this message and this series The Power of Love because more than any other book in the New Testament, John uses this word love. And he does it in just five chapters. So it's a major part of what he's trying to express to the church that he's writing to. And here's kind of one of the key verses that we find. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. Here's what John says. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is key to what he says. When he says from the beginning, and we saw this a couple of weeks ago, when he uses that, he's saying, look, this is foundational. This is at its very core. This is what your, your faith, the truth is built on. In fact, many theologians believe that this is kind of the, the verse where John shifts his whole perspective in the book, where he kind of goes from talking about light in the first part of the book to love in the second part. And he says, this is the message you had from the beginning. We should love one Another, the question then is how do you do that? Because it's easy to say we should love one another. How are you gonna live that out? Like how are you actually going to biblically in a way that God's word would have for us to show love, give love, live a life of love with one another? So what John does next after verse 11 is he gives to us three case studies in love. And we're gonna look at these things tonight. We're gonna look at these three case studies. How do you love one another? And these are gonna help us to kind of consider what love really is, how we can share this love, how we can live it out. Here's the first one that we see. Case study number one is a character in the scripture known as Cain. Case study number one is Cain. Here's what we read about him. If you're not familiar with him, Cain was one of the first characters in the whole book. Genesis chapter four, the beginning of the Bible, you've got Adam and Eve, and then when they have children, it's Cain and Abel. They're their first two children. And so this is, he's like the third guy in the story. And this is what we read about him that John tells us as a case study. First John chapter three, verse 12. He says, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. This is a weird pivot for me. Like John says, love one another. And then he says, don't be like Cain. <laughs> and you're kind of like, well, that was weird. Like, like, I didn't see that one coming. Like, if you were going to talk about love, why, why would you go that quick to the opposite extreme? John's stressing something here. He says, if you're going to show love to one another, 
Let me give you a case study of what it should not look like. And he kind of goes to an extreme when he says, do not be like Cain. That's the lesson that he wants you to get out of this. Don't be like Cain. Why does he say that? When he says Cain, it would almost be in our day and time him saying, don't be like Hitler. Like he's going to an extreme. Because for the Jewish people, especially the people that he's writing to that know Jewish history, that know the Old Testament, Cain is repeatedly used as a, as a case study in, in what you should not be, what you should not be like. So when I say to you, do not be like Cain, you probably say, well, that's easy enough. Like, I might not always love other people well, but odds are you've never killed anybody. So the reality is when you think about this, why would he go to that extreme? John wants you to examine your heart here. Like, don't be quick to just push this to an extreme where you ignore what he's saying about Cain. I want to talk about this for a few moments because at the heart of Cain's issues is the same thing that you and I wrestle with. So I'm going to ask in these next couple of moments that you just don't skip case study number one because you don't think you have any Cain in you. Because there's something we need to see. The reason he goes to Cain is that at the very heart of Cain's issue is the opposite of genuine love. The opposite of genuine love is really even beyond hate. It's a love for self. At some point, it's selfishness. And what he wants to show us about Cain is that selfishness is the assassin of love. Like if you wanna see love die in your life, the thing that will do it quicker, the thing that will do it more powerfully, the thing that will do it more insidiously than anything else is selfishness. So let's rewind a little bit. Let's go back from 1 John all the way to Genesis chapter four. I wanna take a little snapshot look at Cain's life. And as we do, I wanna show you five things that are key, five, we'll call them byproducts of selfishness. Let's look at five byproducts of selfishness. If you allow selfishness to grow in your life, and remember, selfishness, of course, is the opposite of love because it's not a love for one another. It's a love for self. If you're gonna let that selfishness grow, there's five byproducts that I wanna show you just kind of real quick here. Let's, let's go to the story. Genesis chapter four. Here's what we read about Cain. Genesis chapter four, verse three. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Let's stop real quick and just clear a couple things up. Cain has a brother. His brother's name is Abel. The Bible tells us previous to this that Cain was a, a farmer, and so that's why he brought fruits of the soil. Abel dealt with livestock, and that's why his offering was fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Those, those things kind of connect as we see this. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. A couple of things that selfishness brought out in Cain's life that we see in this passage. One of them is greed. The first byproduct of selfishness, if we run through this just real quick, the first one is greed. Now look, we don't know exactly why God did not find favor with, or, or show favor on Cain's offering. We, we don't, we're not told why, it just says it doesn't happen. Theologians for millennia have tried to figure this out. <laughs> like, why was this? Why, why did God not show favor on Cain's offering? And maybe the author of Genesis doesn't mention it because it's not the point. The point is not so much the legalism of this process, but that there was something about Cain's offering that was not in line with the idea of sacrifice. Somehow there was this element of greed that somehow held him back, something he wasn't willing to give. There was an undercurrent of greed in his heart. 
And at some point, don't we all have that? Which leads to like this second byproduct that we see here, and it's anger, right? That next, this greed, whatever happened with the sacrifice, it says that Cain was very angry, and it stirs up this anger in his heart. Oftentimes, the reason that anger shows up in my life, I don't know about yours, but oftentimes where this anger comes from is when I try to take control of something that I probably should just release to God. I'm not talking about a righteous anger, but, but an unrighteous anger, a sinful anger in my life. is when I try to control something, I try to do it, and I get angry when actually I should be entrusting this to God. And this is what's going on in Cain's life. He's so self-focused that it stirs up anger in him. Watch what he does next, verse 8 of Genesis chapter 4. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So that's, that, that got pretty dark quick, didn't it? <laughs> and this story shows up that there was something that motivated him to respond in such a fierce way. Here's a third byproduct of selfishness. Number three, it's jealousy. Like the next thing we see is this jealousy that stirs up in his life because there's such an animosity that's built up between Cain and his brother Abel. You say, Chad, where, where do you get this idea that it was jealousy? We'll go back to 1 John. John tells us this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Here's the, here's the answer. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. He looked at his brothers and he was jealous of his brothers. And in that process, that stirred up that selfishness. That selfishness brought out that jealousy. And now these things are steamrolling, right? Because he's got the greed. He's got the anger. He's got the jealousy, in fact, John then goes and gives us the next layer of where this selfishness takes us. Look at verse 15, 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. That's an intense statement, isn't it? Anybody else? Right, to jump from hate to murder? Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Here's the fourth byproduct. We see it's hate. This hate stirs up. And there's some things that, that you know, we, we need to watch out for. And I think sometimes we use the word hate kind of loosely. We might say that we hate vegetables. Can I get an amen sometimes? Certain ones, not all of them. But some of them I don't have a very good relationship with. You know, there might be certain weather that you say you hate. There might be certain teams that you say that you hate. There might be certain kinds of music that you say that you hate. But because we've so kind of vanilla that word, we, we've made it just so kind of bland. We use it for all kinds of things. We fail to see the power that it packs when we start thinking about how we feel about other people. And hate, the Bible says, is akin to murder. In fact, the Bible tells us that hate is murder in disguise. Where, where do you get that? Why, why so intense? Go back to the words of Jesus. Watch what Jesus says. This, this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 from the New Living Translation. Jesus says, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, he's not talking here about a righteous anger again, right? He's talking about that anger that's kind of out of control. With someone, you are subject to judgment. And if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. There's a lot of cultural context tied up in the things that Jesus says here. So I went to the message 
translation. I don't know if you're familiar with the Message Bible. It was one man's translation of the scriptures. And uh, so it's, it's maybe not as reliable as other translations, but it's actually a good commentary sometimes. Look at how uh, Eugene Peterson translated Matthew 5.21. He says, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. This is a big deal to think about. That when we hate someone, we allow that hate to move us to a place where we wish they did not exist. And from a spiritual standpoint, Jesus compares that to murder. The Bible's real clear. We, we need to kind of watch our heart in these places. So hate's the, the fourth byproduct of selfishness. Before we get to the fifth one, I, I want to look at something that I think is really interesting in this passage. We'll get to the fifth one here in just a moment. But go back to verse 12 of 1 John chapter 3. He says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. This phrase is interesting here. He says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Have you ever heard that whole, that old phrase, which came first, the chicken and the egg? You ever heard that? Which came first in here? The murder or the evil one? Right, which, what's the chicken, what's the egg here? Did Cain murder and then belong to the evil one? Or did he belong to the evil one and then he murdered? I would contend that his murder was not what caused him to be branded as belonging to the evil one, but that he had already allowed his heart to belong to the evil one. And that's what put him in a place where he was able and able, that was a pun, where he was willing to murder. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Are you with me? Like, let, let me give it to you this way. You ever, you ever played the game Monopoly? Monopoly is a, a fun game depending on who you play it with and if you win. Can I get an amen? Because <laughs> it, it can get heated. Some of the most heated things that I've seen happen in our own family life have happened around a very righteous and holy game of Monopoly. <laughs> right? And here's the idea with Monopoly. At some point, you're, you know, you're trading properties, you're trading money, you're doing all this kinds of stuff. And at some point, it has something to do with maybe how much someone gets or what key properties they get. But at some point, you can kind of step back, even if everybody is still in the game, you can kind of step back and go, okay, that person's in control whether it's because of Boardwalk and Park Place, whether it's because of just the, the number of hotels or railroads or whatever it might be, you start to look at what belongs to them and you can tell clearly, I think unless something drastic happens, I know how this game is gonna end. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you say, that person is in control because of what belongs to them. Look, your, your spiritual life, your mind, your heart, your, your spirit is not unlike a Monopoly board. And at some point, we let different parts of our heart get loaned out to others. You know, God gets some of it. And let's just be honest, there's certain things that at times we may be reserved for a little evil one. Sometimes it's the world. Sometimes it's just ourself. And the reality is, whoever begins to own some of those key parts can start to control the game. I think that's what happened to Cain, right? He, he kind of let the evil one settle in on Boardwalk and Park Place. And at some point, he started to control his thoughts. 
And that just steamrolled. It wasn't long until Marvin Gardens was in his hand. Do you know what I'm talking about? And that, because so much belonged to the evil one, led him to murder. Look, whoever owns your heart controls your life. And that's so key for us to think about, especially in this area of how we love one another. It comes out in our lives. Whoever owns your heart is gonna control your life. So maybe it's time to step back and look at the board and see where are those properties landing? Because that's gonna make a difference. Which leads us to the, the fifth thing that is a byproduct of selfishness that we see in Cain's life. And it's what I would call number five, superiority. Number five, let's just categorize it as this superiority. At some point, Cain saw where his brother was. Cain wanted to be better. Cain wanted to win. Cain wanted to have it. And when he didn't, that selfishness pushed him to the total opposite of love. I have to be careful. I've got to watch my heart. I've got to see the state of my heart, how I interact with others, how I'm viewing other people. I, I was reading a commentary about this, an author named Gary Burge, and he made a statement that just kind of stopped me dead in my tracks because I had never thought of it this way. But we see Cain's anger. Right, We see Cain's murder, we see his hate, we see his greed, we see his jealousy, we see his selfishness. It's important for us to see that Cain's anger was fueled by religion. If you think about it, at the heart of why Cain was so angry was religious motivation. It was all around a sacrifice. And it was superiority, he wanted to be better, he wanted to win, he wanted to get the one up on his brother and so in this religious context, his religion becomes a battleground for his selfishness. And I gotta tell you, that convicted me. It caused me to think about my own life. It caused me to think about the life of our church. Why, why did John pick Cain? Well, one of the reasons he picked Cain was because he was such an extreme kind of case study when we talk about love. But the other reason that I think John picked Cain is because John was writing to a church that was in the midst of religious battles. They had false teachers that were coming in with doctrines about Jesus that weren't true. They had false teachers who were coming in and were questioning sexual ethics and morality within the church. They had people who were battling for influence. They had people who were battling for power. They had people who were battling and struggling with each other. And you get this undertone about all of this in the first part of the book of John. John calls out the detractors. He calls out the heretics. There is this tension. And yet in the midst of all this tension, John says, you still need to be someone who loves even in the midst of your religious battleground do not become like Cain don't let your selfishness your your desire for superiority put you in a place where you push yourself away from the call that God has put in your heart from the beginning <laughs> that you're called to love Cain is a case study in what love does not look like. First John chapter three, verse 10, just before he mentions Cain, John says this, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Do not think that John was writing some kind of warm and fuzzy mamby-pamby letter. He was writing to a church in crisis. And he said, in the middle of your crisis, do not be like Cain. 
You love one another. So uh, I know at the beginning of this, we talked about how extreme Cain was. But I ask you to keep your heart open because here's my question for you. Who's your able? Like in your life, your day-to-day, your job, your family, your neighborhood, your past. Who or what pulls out the greed in you? What or who just makes you angry? Who do you find yourself maybe being jealous of? You know, um, Cain's jealousy was, was very much a, what I would call an analog jealousy, wasn't it? Like, like it, was, it was ancient, it was a long time ago. We now live in a culture of digital jealousy and the things that go viral often affect us in kind of some unseemly ways. Who are you jealous of? Do you hate anyone, a person, a group of people? Are there people that stir up inside of you, a person, maybe a group, thoughts of superiority? Because when those things show up, that's my able. That's your able. And that's selfishness. And for your own sake, can I remind you that selfishness is the assassin of love? And if I don't deal with it, it will doom me. That's why John says, hey, let me give you a case study. Let's start out with this. I want you to love one another. So start with this. Don't be like Cain. And then he takes us to the second case study. Case study number two. This one's easy. This is Jesus. Case study number two, when we look at what love is, takes us to the story of Jesus. That's a more positive example, is it not? Let's, let's go to this passage. First John chapter three, verse 16. As John moves along, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus is the example of love. He's the one who showed it to us. If you you need a little formula, love equals Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. It's that key. It's that easy. He gave us his love. And Jesus is the example of love. We're going to see that throughout this book. You're going to see that all throughout the New Testament, that Jesus is the example of love. In our culture, we're inundated with people giving us definitions of what love is. We get it from romance. We get it from relationships. We get it from our culture. In fact, in many ways, love is being redefined. There's new paradigms. People are always saying, well, this is what love looks like, or this is what love looks like, or this movie is a picture of love, or this book, or this song. The reality is, it is Jesus and not the culture that defines what love is for the Christian. If we're wondering what love looks like, it's Jesus and not the culture that has to define what love is for the follower of Jesus Christ. John chapter 10, Jesus makes this clear for us. He says this, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. One of the greatest theologians of the 20th century was a Swiss theologian named Karl Barth. And Barth made a trip to the United States near the end of his life, and he spoke at a seminary in Virginia. And after his kind of formal address, he stood kind of informally with a bunch of students. And one of them said, Dr. Barth, could you maybe just give me in a little snapshot, what's the core of what you believe? Karl Barth took a moment and thought. He said, I suppose I could summarize all of my theology with this phrase, Jesus loves me, This I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
It all kind of boils down to that, doesn't it? Like that's the story. And because he loves us, it changes everything. Jesus is the example of love. And we're quick to say that. We're quick to point that out, right? As followers of Jesus, we're quick to see that. Jesus is it. But this is what John shows us. This is important. He says, and this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. In the same way that Jesus is the example of love, what John shows us is that sacrifice is the definition of love. <laughs> if Jesus is the example, then sacrifice is the definition See, it's not enough for me to just say Jesus is love. What is it about Jesus that defines what love is? Well, the definition is this. Jesus was willing to lay down his life. He's willing to sacrifice. In fact, that's not just here in John's writings. If you go back to the Gospel of John, John chapter 15, verse 12, says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus sacrificed for you and for me. And he didn't sacrifice for no reason. He sacrificed because we needed it. He sacrificed because it was the cost that would pay the price for your life, for my life, for your sins, for my sins. The author Jay Denny kind of helps us to summarize this. He says, imagine that you're sitting on a dock. Your legs are just kind of dangling and it's a beautiful Blue sky, temperature's just right, sunny day. And all of a sudden, some guy just runs up and jumps in the water and says that they're jumping in to prove their love for you. And in the process of it, they, they drown. And you'd look and you'd go, well, that, that's, that's something that that person did that. But they didn't have to do that. I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm fine. There was no need for that sacrifice. But if you're drowning... If instead you'd fallen in that dock and you can't get out and you're gasping for breath and somebody jumps in and they rescue you but they lose their life, you're gonna say, greater love has no man than this. And we need to realize when we talk about Jesus' love, he didn't do it just so we'd have a cool story. He didn't do it just because it kind of filled the pages or it was heroic. He did it because his love was not only great, it was needed, it was necessary. You and I need his love. We need that sacrifice. Without it, our lives have no meaning. Without it, our lives have no hope. Maybe you've been looking in your life for some kind of fulfillment, for some kind of purpose, for some kind of new start, for forgiveness, whatever it might be. You can only find that in someone who would love you enough to sacrifice for you. And that was Jesus. He gave his life for us. He modeled that. He, he's the case study. Case study number one is Cain. Don't be like Cain. <laughs> case study number two is Jesus. Don't forget how great his love is for you. Because before you even knew him, before you could even make things right, he knew that you'd be drowning, and that you'd need his grace which takes us to case study number three. Number one, Cain, number two, Jesus. Number three, John makes that you and me. Like he then puts the burden on how you're gonna live out love, how I'm gonna live out love. Let's watch the end of this kind of passage of scripture, the next three verses. He says this again, 1 John chapter three, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He puts it right back on us. If Jesus did that for us, then we ought to do that for them. We ought to be willing to say, I will lay down my life as well. How do we do that? Well, look, love calls us to set aside our rights and desires. That's sacrifice. That's what Jesus is talking about, that at some point, if I'm gonna love you, what that calls me to do is to be willing to set aside my rights, to set aside my desires, and I'll let you allow the Holy Spirit to put that into your heart. Let's start putting this puzzle together. Where's the places that you're most selfish? Where does that selfishness that, that stirred up in Cain's heart kind of stir up in your heart as well? Is it in your home? Is it in the workplace? Is it when you interact with people who don't think like you or, or look like you or talk like you or live like you? Like, what is it that stirs that up in you? Because those are the very places where God might be calling you to show love in a way that calls you to set aside your rights and desires. The question is, are we willing to deny ourselves to love one another? Are we willing to say, I'll, I'll deny myself to show love to someone else? And here's the deal, we get to do this. It, it doesn't seem like it's very joyful, but when I'm willing to love someone else, it can change their life. Look, I've never been argued into changing my mind. <laughs> no one's ever forced me to get a different perspective. But when someone's shown me love, it's changed my life. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like love is such a powerful thing. I have this tendency, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I have this tendency that if I don't like something, I get defensive kind of quick. Anybody else have that tendency? Okay, anybody else a liar? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> right, you just, oh, you get kind of defensive. And I've found that my defensiveness never goes quite well. It usually puts all the pressure on me. But I've found in situations that if I'll be willing to show love, then all of a sudden that puts a situation in God's hands. And he seems to always work it out better. I remember several years back, I was in a situation, man, I was so frustrated, I was so upset, and I was going to, man, I was just gonna let that person have it. And a friend said to me, Pastor, you don't need to fight. Man, that, I did not like that. Because <laughs> I was ready. Because not only was I sure I could fight, I was sure I could fight and win, bless God. Pastor, you don't need to fight. So I chose not to fight. I chose to love instead. And God worked that situation out in ways that I never could have imagined. When you love, you take it out of your hands, and you put it into God's. And when I've done that, I've never regretted it. Now look, situations like that, you always gotta handle with wisdom, right? Are there some people you have to put boundaries around in your life? Like, I'm not talking about foolishness, and we don't have time to talk about tough love, and we don't have time to talk about being wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Like, there's, there's a lot that Scripture talks about. Let's talk about one thing that we do have a little bit of time to talk about. Sometimes I wrestle with this thought. God, I can, I can try to love everybody, but do I have to like them? Do you know what I mean? There's just some people that I'm just like, I just, I just don't like them. You know, nobody... He, Nobody here, nobody here, right? 
But you got people, you know, there's just no chemistry, or you just don't get along, you just go, Lord, please don't make me spend time with them. <laughs> That's okay. God designs us all differently. In fact, if we, if we liked everybody, I guess we wouldn't have to love everybody. <laughs> but there are these times where we have to choose and say, I'm gonna choose to love. So here's maybe the question to consider. What are we not willing to sacrifice in order to love one another? It might be good for me to take a look and go, are there things in my life that I'm not willing to let go of, to move past, to, to, to give up in order to love someone else? So, so he talks there about our sacrifice. Then he makes it even more practical. Look at this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. If, if we're gonna love one another, he says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? He makes it very practical. He says, look, if you're gonna love someone, that means you're gonna take something that you have and you're gonna offer it to them. That you're gonna be willing to give of yourself. Love calls us to give of ourselves to meet the needs of others. Sometimes that's financial, sometimes that's emotional, sometimes that's time, could be all kinds of things. But that sacrifice at some point actually has to become practical, it actually has to become tangible. Again, you gotta be wise, right? This isn't a call to foolish stewardship. It's not, it's not a call to be unwise or to do what isn't smart. And I want you to hear that. I'm not, I'm not telling you that, that you have to give away the farm. I'm saying, are we willing to give of ourselves to love another? Because if you're gonna love someone else, it might not be easy. There's a mom in Pennsylvania who her two daughters were playing in the basement and uh, as they were playing in the basement, it got real quiet. You always know that's bad, right? When she checked in on them, the one daughter thought it would be funny to dump on the head of the other daughter these toys called bunchums. Anybody heard of them? They're like these Velcro-like balls. So she dumped 150 of them on her sister's head, which ended up looking like this. So she got all these little bunchums, Velcro-like, right? So they all start sticking together all in her hair. Here's another picture where it got styled a little bit more dramatically. They went to such great lengths. They tried all these, they tried washing, they tried conditioner, they tried this, this mineral oil, they tried, all, they tried all this kind of stuff. Eventually, it took that mom 20 hours to comb and pull and work and comfort and grieve and love for the hair to begin to look like that again. That, my friend, was an act of love. You'd say, well, of course she had to. She's not gonna take the kid to Target looking like that. No, but it's love. Love is what helps you to help somebody else walk through a tough time. Even when someone else just has a... <laughs> mess on their hands where it makes you wanna pull your hair out. Love comes along and says, what do I have that I can give to you? Your love can bless somebody else. That's why John says this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Do you know anybody who's all talk? You know anybody who's just, he's just, you know, they, they, oh, they talk a good talk, but they don't follow up on it. They'll say things, but then you can't expect them to come through. And we do that a lot with love. 
I think even in the church we do that a lot. We say, oh yeah, we love one another. We're people of love, but when it comes right down to it, love calls us to show and not just tell. Love calls us to decide in our hearts, I'm not just gonna talk about it. I'm gonna do something about it. Look, John gives us these interesting case studies, doesn't it? He makes this parallel for us between Cain, whose selfishness pulled him totally away from love, to Jesus, whose divine love gave us the great example of sacrifice, the model of what love looks like. And he says to you and I, love means that you're gonna be willing to set aside your own rights, you're gonna be willing to give of yourself, you're gonna be willing not just to talk, but to do. My question is, what are you not willing to do in order to love one another? Maybe look at your own heart and go, are there things in my heart that I'm not willing to do, not willing to give up? Or are there places I'm not willing to go? You kind of have to decide in advance. God, however you call me to, I'm gonna love. I'm gonna let your love set the tone for my life. May 29th, 1914, a ship called the Empress of Ireland sank when it did, there were 130 um, members of the Salvation Army, a religious group that had a lot of prominence, especially in the early 1900s. There were 130 officers in the Salvation Army on board. 109 of those 130 were drowned in the sinking of that ship. Not one of their bodies that was recovered had a life jacket on. The reason was that there came a point on the sinking of the ship when people were on the deck and they realized there was no hope, that they also realized they didn't have enough life jackets. <laughs> and these Salvation Army officers, the ones that even had them, witnesses said, began to take them off and offer them to other people. In fact, the story was told of some of those Salvation Army officers that would literally take that belt off and strap it on to bigger, stronger men than them. And the statement that they gave was I can die better than you can. <laughs> I know where my heart's at. I know where my love's at. And I'm willing to offer myself so that you can live. What does your love look like? Look, this isn't a call to martyrdom. This isn't a call to do something wild and crazy. It's a call where God's spirit would ask you, are you really willing to love? John wrote this to a church in the first century that was living in a fractured world filled with crisis, dissonance, and discord, and disagreement, and hatred, and lies, and false teachings, and so many other things. And when John focused in on what really, really matters, he says to that first century church, and I'm confident that he says to this 21st century church, the call is that you love one another. So here's, here's my challenge for you. Are you willing to love in that way? I'm gonna ask those of you that are in the room if you'd stand with me. And uh, for those of you that are watching online, if you wanna stand, you can, or however, you're, you're seated or whatever, but would you just take a moment and would you ask yourself the question, am I willing to love? 
Am I willing to show that love, give that love, and offer that love? We're gonna sing a song that says, I will build my life upon your love. It challenges us to say, Jesus, will you lead me in your love? And as we sing this, my hope is that you won't just sing it because it's familiar or you like it, but you'll make it a prayer. And that you'll say, Jesus, help me to live out my life with your love. So Father, as we sing this song, we give our lives to you. In fact, Lord, we build our lives on you. And God, we ask that you would allow our hearts to be directed and driven by your love. That we wouldn't let selfishness determine who we are, but instead that the model of Jesus would compel us in a world that is fractured, in a world filled with chaos, that would compel us as your people to be people who build their lives on your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I will build my upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone. And I that there's someone who is in this room or you're watching this on a screen, you're listening to this somewhere, and you would say, not only do I need help to love others, I need God's love in my life. I need that forgiveness you talked about. I need that grace. I need what Jesus died to bring. His sacrifice is enough to bring that forgiveness. And because he's resurrected, he can bring your life meaning and purpose Maybe you need to say right now, Jesus, I give you my life. I can't do it on my own anymore. In this next moment as I pray, if you need that, then I wanna invite you just to say with your own heart, Jesus, I give you my life. 
Well, then it may be that you're, you're here or you're watching this and you're saying to yourself, God, there's this situation or there's this person or there's this circumstance or this place where I just, I know I can't do it on my own. I'm gonna need your help to love. There's no better time than this moment to be humble enough to say, Jesus, will you help me? Father, we, we thank you for your word. Thanks for the way that it speaks to our lives. And Lord, in this moment, I pray with the one who says, I can't do this on my own anymore. Jesus, I give you my life. Would you forgive me? Would you give my life meaning and purpose? I choose to follow you. Holy Spirit, would you help them to know that you can make them new, and give them life, give them hope, give them peace, give them a sense of truth that can only come from you. And Lord, I think all of us can have a place or a person or a circumstance in our life where we would just say, Jesus, would you help me to love? Would you help me to work past my own frustration, my own selfishness, and be willing to love like Jesus does? God, may this message of love be something that challenges us, stirs in us, helps us as we go through this week. Lord, would you send us out with your special favor? and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name.